believe you're in good hands. No. <laughs> yeah. If you would pray for, um, pray for my mom, pray for Miss Julia. She has not been feeling well the last several days. And she leaves a big hole when she's not in. So just pray for her recovery. Thank, thank you for those who have stepped up and helped. Just, um, that is one of the prayer requests we need to pray for. Go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to read the whole chapter, starting in verse number 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, and it, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity, there in the providence, are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him, and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house, house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though there were of you, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word, Lord. I just pray that you would um, allow me to preach your message, Lord, and that it would be clear and that um, you would be free to speak to hearts, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How you start something has a great bearing on the end result. How you begin is going to greatly affect where you end up. Okay? I live in an apartment now. I no longer enjoy always my mom doing the cooking for me. So I do some of my own cooking. The ingredients you begin with has a great influence on what you end up with. If you use 
pasta instead of potatoes, it's going to change the meal a little bit. If you put the wrong spices in, it's going to change. Where, what you start with is going to change or greatly affect where you end up. Let's, how about we start with a pot of coffee? Every morning, I must make a pot of coffee. It's, it's mandatory if, you're going to, if I'm going to function anyways. But if I started with water from, that had set out since last week and stale coffee, I am not going to get the best cup of coffee that I could possibly have. How you start is going to affect the end result. How you start an algebraic equation, for those of you who love math, and I enjoy math, but the, if the way you start that equation, where you start, what you're seeking for, if you start trying to find a different result, it's going to affect where you end up. Okay? And how you deal with a trial or situation in your life, how you begin to deal with that is going to have a great result and is going to have a great impact on the end result of that trial, that situation, or whatever you're dealing with in your life. If you begin... To, if, you, if you start with, I just want to get out of this, that's going to greatly affect the decisions you're going to make down the road through that situation. Another illustration. How you start a relationship, what your end goals are, when you start that relationship is going to greatly affect where that relationship is going to go and how it's going to end. In the book of Nehemiah, we find the Jewish people are in a terrible life situation. All right? A little bit of background. We need to get a little bit of the historical context if we're going to understand what's going on. Nehemiah is in, in the um, Persian Empire right now. He's in the palace serving the Persian king. Around a, hundred, a little over 150 years before this, in accordance to God's promises and God's word that if the Jewish people, if the tribe of Judah did not come and conform and begin to obey God's word, God was going to remove them from the land. This was at least 150 years before we get to the book of Nehemiah, where the Babylonian Empire came in and destroyed Jerusalem, leveled the temple, and took the nation of Judah, took the tribe of Judah and the people living in Jerusalem, and transported them all the way back to the land of Babylon. Later... The kingdom of Persia came and conquered Babylon. And many of the Jews were still living there at that time. There was a 70-year 70 um, 70 captivity before the first of the pioneer Jews started going back to the city of Jerusalem. The first pioneers went back around 90 years before the time of Nehemiah. So this has been a long time. It would have been Nehemiah's granddad who may have returned with the first pioneers. We're not dealing with just something that has happened over one or two weeks. This is something that had been going on for years, for generations. By this time, by the time we get to Nehemiah, the temple had already been rebuilt. The first pioneers had gone back and the first thing they did was cleared the rubble from the temple site and began to build the temple. They laid the foundation and then he stopped. And then God sent prophets and they began to rebuild the temple. And they finally finished the temple. And there was great rejoicing during that time. But all that time, from the time it was originally destroyed, till the time of Nehemiah, the walls, the city was still in a state of ruin. The walls were still broken down. The gates were still burned with fire. But, you would think, after all this time, after 90 years of people living in the land and living in Jerusalem, that there had been great improvements, that stuff would have started happening, that there would have been um, 
walls rebuilt, there would have been some establishment of government. There would have been great things happening as people began to turn to God. But Nehemiah, he's serving in, the, he's serving in Shushan, the palace. He can't, he's probably never seen Jerusalem. But he's interested in it because that was his homeland. That was the place where God had put his name. And it says, Hananiah and one of my brethren and certain men, they came back from Jerusalem. This would have been a very long journey. But they came back. And Nehemiah grabs them and says, Hey, how are things at Jerusalem? And they say, The news is not good. Those which were left of the remnant that were there in the providence are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. This was, some, this was something that Nehemiah was hoping he would not hear. It was probably very hard for him as he heard, My people are living in Jerusalem with no defenses. In that time, we think of Walls like, you know, at least I have a wall nobody can see in. Well, in that time, they, I mean, they didn't have the things we have to go over walls today. The walls were their protection. The walls were their safety. And when the walls were broken down and the gates were still burned by fire, over 150 years later, it was absolutely a reproach on the people. It was a shame on the people of God. They were disgraced. The city they were living in was just rubble everywhere. As um, If you continue to read the book of Nehemiah, if you, if you get to a later chapter, there's parts where Nehemiah finally goes to Jerusalem and sees it, and he can't even get through some of the burned down gates. The, the rubble is so thick. The trash and the refuse that had been there for so many years was so thick, they couldn't get through. And the people had literally just moved some of the rubble aside and were living and trying to have family and um, trying to serve God. Some of them weren't. And in that very unhospitable environment, they were beginning not to seek God anymore. And there was beginning to be just spiritual decay happening once again among the people of God. And Nehemiah hears about this great suffering that his people are going through says they are in great affliction. There was suffering. There would have been food shortages. They wouldn't have had... Because people anybody could come in and take what they wanted. There was always people mocking Him. They were in derision and they were under um, persecution from all the people around them. The walls were still torn down. The city that had once had the Jehovah as the, as the God of that city. God still owned Jerusalem. He still does today. But that had been... Some people looked up, that's God's city there. And now they looked at it and it was broken down. And it had been there. And there have been people living there for 90 years. And it was still, the temple was built, but it was still in this state of decay. It was still, there was still just rubble everywhere. It was broken down. It was disheartening. It was shameful for the people of God to be living in a state like this. The people, they had tried once before, but the people of the land had gotten the king to send an army to put it down. They said, you can't rebuild the walls. They were just, it was a hopeless situation. They didn't have the expertise, they didn't have the tools, they didn't have the funds, and they were losing the willpower to build the city once again. 
And Nehemiah hears this. What can he really do about it? He's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away. He's a servant to the king of Persia. It isn't like he can just go and say, Hey boss, I'm taking a leave. Let me go. I need my vacation time. But that wouldn't even let him build the city because he would have had to have a royal edict from the king to be able to rebuild the walls. It must have been just gut-wrenching to Nehemiah to hear this. My people are still under. It looks like nothing has changed. The temple is there. The gates, there's no protection for them. They're in disgrace. He could have complained about how the people weren't trying or God was not helping them. He could have begun to lay blame at different people, but no. Instead, he was moved to a point of spiritual contemplation and prayer. He began to stop and he, be, he literally sat down, is what the Bible says. He was moved by what he heard. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. He stopped what he was doing and sat down, maybe in shock, but definitely in grief. As he heard this, the report of what was going on in his homeland that he had probably never seen, he stopped, he sat down, and he just began to weep. This was not how things were supposed to be. The 70 years of captivity had been over for generations now. And the people were still living in decay and in the shadow of the judgment that God had placed on their lives for their disobedience. And he wept and he mourned certain days. It was just a time of grieving for Nehemiah as he sat, sat there and he mourned and he wept. But he didn't just sit there and cry about it. He took his grief to God. He says, and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He fasted, depriving himself of necessary food and nourishment so he could begin to focus on the situation and what was going on. Excuse me. He prayed, bringing his problem and the situation before God. I oftentimes I know in my life when it's when something comes up, there's a situation in my life, and I really want or really need God to do it. I go before God and I'm praying and I say, God, I really need you to fix the situation. God. Whatever is going on in my life, you know, whether it's job, whether it's whatever is going on in your life. And we go before God and we pray, God, I need you to fix this situation. This is happening. I need this to be changed. But we do not see Nehemiah doing that. Yes, he sat down, he mourned and he wept and he went and he fasted and he prayed before God. But what we're going to really um, dig into tonight is what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah seriously devoted himself to spending time with God and knowing God. As he heard the news of the broken, still broken state of Jerusalem, of the, the trials and the affliction and the reproach that was on his people in Jerusalem, that he at this time could not do anything about. He, wasn't, he didn't get on his knees and say, God, I really need you to fix this situation. That is what I need done. no. Let's start reading in verse number 5. And I said, this is what he did as he was fasting and praying for the situation that was in his life. He said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, 
the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love Him and observe His commandments. First thing he did as he was experiencing the turmoil and the mourning and the grief as he heard what was happening to his people was he spent time remembering who God is. That's what he did. He reminded himself of God's complete control of the world and universe. Look, he said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven. When he's saying, O Lord God, he's speaking about the omniscient God, the one who is, has all life, who is self-existent. And He is the God of heaven. We're talking about God from Genesis to the end of Revelation. That's what Nehemiah, Nehemiah is saying. God, You are the God of heaven. You are in complete control of everything that's been going on. You have not changed. You are the self-existent one. You are a great God and You are in control. He reminded Himself of the immensity of God. He said, the great, when you study that word out, it literally is talking about size. He's saying, my God, and he's saying, God, not only are you the God who's in complete control of everything that's going on, you are, but you are a great God. You are a big God. This isn't something that is beyond you. You are great. You are heavy. You are immense. He reminded himself, of the awesomeness and the fearfulness of God. He said, the great, the mighty, the immense and terrible God. It's talking about that is something that would inspire fear. Something that would inspire awe. When, when you, if you've ever gone up to something and it's just huge. One time I was on um, witness a couple, um, my last year on Witness, and we did a lot of crazy things that year because we said we were going to get sermon illustrations. So that was our excuse for doing whatever crazy things happened to come into our heads. Well, I'm going to use one of them tonight. We were in Washington in a camp, and it was desert. And this was our second week at camp. We had had a week, a camp, a week of camp this week, and then this it was our second week of camp back to back. So we were all worn out, tired. And the last camp we were at was in the mountains, in the pretty part of Washington. Then we went back on the desert side of Washington, and it was flat and hot, like 100 degrees all week with no AC. It, and it was a new camp, so there wasn't anything to do, and we were bored out of our ever-loving minds. So the last night, we stayed up, and because it was a desert part of Washington, there's windmill farms everywhere. So we went hiking after we put all the campers to, be, campers to bed. And we went hiking up over the hill. And we're like, you see that windmill? How many have ever seen the big windmills while you're driving? You've seen those. They look pretty small or whatever from the distance. And we're like, but these were really close. And we're like, ah, it's just see how big it is? It's just real close. We'll get it. We must have hiked at least a half a mile before we got to them, maybe over a mile. We finally get up to this windmill. And from a distance, they look small and they look like they're just moving, just slowly. But when we got up to the windmill, the five of us guys could barely, linking arms, wrap our arms around it. I went like this and I hadn't reached the curve of the pole, the round pole. It was flat. And that thing wasn't going like moving. You heard this. And you're just like... 
this thing is going to come off and cut my head off. Let me tell you, when we finally got up there, I was in fear for my life when I was standing under that windmill. I probably shouldn't have been there. But Nehemiah is saying, God, you inspire fear in me. You are great. You are so much bigger than I ever could have imagined. You are great. You are awesome. You are powerful. And when I actually get closer to you, the closer I get, the more fear that is in my life. And Nehemiah, was a, when he heard of the terrible situation that his people were in, the first thing he did was he sat down and he prayed, but he wasn't like, God, there's this terrible situation, I really need you to work on it. He stopped and he began by remembering who God is and what God is and what God can do. How great He is. How awesome He is. How He is in control. He reminded himself of the character of God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love Him and observe His commandments. He reminded himself of the character of God. How God doesn't change. God isn't flippant with what He says. If God says something, He's going to do it. And He reminded Himself of that. And that's where Nehemiah began. And as he began that, as he began thinking of the greatness and the powerfulness and just the awesomeness of God, that led him to confess the sins of his people and the sins of himself. He understood the gravity of their sins. And verse number 7 says, We have dealt very corruptly against thee. It's talking about um, the Hebrew word there, corruptly. When it says very corruptly, it's the words back to back. It's putting, it's, cor- it's corruptly, corruptly. Correctly translated in our King James Bible, that's the way it's supposed to be, very corruptly. It's just saying, we haven't just been disobedient to you, God. We've been very, very immeasurably beyond corrupt, without exception. It's just been absolutely corruptness what we have been doing. We have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. He confessed that their sin was against God. He said, we didn't just mess up. We didn't just, you know, maybe do some things we weren't supposed to. We have been very corrupt and we have not kept your word. You think about you look um, think about back in the in the kings and in first and second Samuel how you think about how the nation of Israel was constantly going back into idolatry and constantly serving other gods and how they eventually were killing God's prophets and yes Nehemiah was right in saying we but he included himself in that saying we have dealt very corruptly and we have not kept your word. And we think about the children of Israel like, how could they have done that? But we look at our own lives and we see how often we have not kept God's Word. We know what God's Word says. We are confronted, if you are in church, you are confronted with God's Word. Every time Pastor Montoro stands and preaches, you are confronted with the truth of God's Word and you are given a decision whether you are going to obey it or not. And how often do we come back? Yes, Pastor asks, how many have sinned this week? And we all raise our hand. So before we get on the um, saying how bad Israel was, remember how bad we are ourselves. And that how we too have very corruptly disobeyed God's Word. And how 
There is going to be judgment in our lives because of our disobedience to God's Word. But Nehemiah realized the gravity of their sin only after he had spent the time remembering who God is and the greatness of God. And that pushed him down and made him say, "And God, not only are you great, but our sin is great as well. And he confessed the sins of himself and his people before God. But he didn't stop there. He isn't like, God, you're great and I'm a sinner. But he said, remember, he remembered the promises of God's word. Verse number eight. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though they were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, Yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. And Nehemiah is remembering, he's remembering the character of God. How that God keeps His word. And the very reason that Nehemiah was in the palace of the Persian king, that he was in Shushan, that he was in the um, former area of Babylon, was because God had kept His word. The very reason that Nehemiah was where he was was because they had disobeyed God and God had said, if you do this, this is going to happen to you. The children of Israel continued their rebellion against God and God kept his word and moved them and took them out of the land and moved them into the nation of Babylon, which later became Persia. And Nehemiah saying, you've kept your word here, God, and I remember you're, you're, you're true. Your promises are true. Your word is right. You always keep your word. But not only did you promise that if we disobeyed, you were going to take us out. You promised if we began to seek you again, and you promised if we began to obey your commandments and began to love you, that no matter where we were, you would begin to bring us back. And Nehemiah remembered who God was. And he confessed his sin. He got right with God. And he said, this is what your word says. He stood on the promises of God's word that this is what God said. And then, and only then, did he begin to plead with God to intervene in a miraculous way. In verse number 11, he says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. Then here it says, and prosper, I pray thee. He's asking God, says, God, will you personally prosper thy servant this day? And will you grant him, speaking of himself, will you grant me mercy in the sight of this man, speaking of the king? For I was the king's cupbearer. As he spent time with God and as he prayed and sought God's face, he said, God, I need you to do something here. I need you... You are a great God. You are a God who keeps your word. You are a God who forgives and is merciful. And I need you to prosper me. I, I need you to be the one who does this. And I need you to grant me mercy in the sight of the king. Because I'm in a very dangerous position here as the king's cupbearer. He asked God to hear the prayers of those who were seeking to obey God. He asked God to prosper his work. And he asked God to grant him mercy. Later in the book of Nehemiah, we see the miraculous things that God worked through the, through the life of Nehemiah. And how God began to answer those prayers. And how the walls of Jerusalem began to be rebuilt. And the reproach began to be wiped away. 
But as I said at the beginning, where you start has a great impact on where you end up. And I believe wholeheartedly that the reason Nehemiah experienced the prospering and success of God in his life and the reason that Nehemiah experienced the mercy of God when he spoke to the king was because of where Nehemiah started. Nehemiah responded to the affliction and great distress of his people by serious devotion to prayer and fasting for God's intervention and mercy. Now, you and I are not needing to rebuild walls of Jerusalem. But there are many situations in our everyday life and in our lives today that must be dealt with. There are many situations that come up that we look at and it's not right. Or there's things that need to be changed. Some of it we say, well, that's not as serious as the walls. But some people, it's a very real struggle right now to find a job or the finances that are coming in their lives. Maybe it is a lost family member, someone who has rejected the gospel, or somebody who has a health problem. And it's something that you really can't do anything about by yourself. And it's something that is causing you great distress. Maybe it is a struggle in your life that you just cannot seem to get the victory over. You are trying and it just seems like as you look around, all you see is the rubble of the way the things used to be. Or the way they should be. There are situations in our church that are very serious that we desperately need God's intervention. I can't preach this message without thinking about Union Baptist Church and the absolute... If you've been, at least on the outside, you can still see it. If you've been on the inside, it's absolutely incredible. I, I can't imagine what Jerusalem was, must have looked like. But as I look, like, look at what Union Baptist must have been back when it was first built, and the devastation that it is in now, and how it sits empty, and almost on the point of destruction, I can't help but feel maybe a little bit like the children of Israel, and say how we need a mighty moving of God in this. We need God's mercy. We need God's success in prospering this, or we will never have the victory in it. In your own life, you will never have the victory without God's mercy in your life. You're not going to have victory over sin. You're not going to have victory in speaking to family members about salvation or health. Things you cannot really control without the mercy of God. But so often we tend to seek God's help first. Like, God, I really need you to work in this situation. Yes, we do. But we can learn from the life of Nehemiah. He sought God's help. Yes. But he sought God first. He sought the person of God. He spent time remembering who God is. And you and I must respond to the situations and the life trials that come in our life by a serious devotion. Nehemiah prayed, it says, certain days. This wasn't something he did for a couple hours. This wasn't something he did just because he's like, well, I guess I should pray about it. No, he fasted and he prayed and he seriously devoted himself to seeking God. Let me say it this way. Life situations require serious time with God. Life's trials require serious time with God. Whether you're looking at a child who is sick, whether you're looking at financial situations, whether we're looking at a building that is falling down, 
life situations and life's trials need serious time with God. We need, we need to first take time and begin to seek God and remember who God is. And remember, first of all, that God is great. And remember that God is powerful. And as we draw closer to God, that's going to bring fear in our lives. And we're going to begin to realize just how great the closer we get to God, it's like you begin to step back and just look up. And as you spend time with God, it will reveal in you the sinfulness that is in your own life. And you will begin to need to confess the sins that are in your own life and get that right. And as you spend time with God and confess the sins that are in your life, and you stand on the promises of God's Word, that is when God is able to begin to do the things that only God can do. When we come to God and say, God, I really need you to fix this situation... But, but we cut out the first steps of remembering who God is and getting right with God, getting the sins that are in our life, whether we feel, you know, that really isn't that important. No, the closer you get to God, you will begin to realize how very corrupt our sins are and how we have not kept God's commandment. And as we get closer to God, it will bring us to our knees because we will be overwhelmed with the greatness and the powerfulness of God. And we will begin to get things right with God. And then we can say, you know what? You're, we have experienced... Nehemiah was saying, we've experienced your judgment, but your word promises blessings too. And as we look, look at Union Baptist Church, we know there's some promises in God's word that God says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When you're looking at things in your life, we know that God's word promises, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And we can stand on the promises of God's word and then we can ask, God, I need your intervention in our life. But I seriously believe, I, I really believe that one of the reasons why Nehemiah experienced such victory in his life, why Nehemiah, as we, um, Lord willing, as I'm given opportunities to preach, I'm going to preach more messages out of the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to look at how the walls were rebuilt and how he began to establish a government that began to um, obey God. And seek God and the people began to come together and study God's word and start begin to live for God again. And God began to bless. When that began to happen, I seriously believe that the reason why there were such blessings on the life of Nehemiah and such victory in his life was of where he started. He started on his knees, not saying, God, I need you to fix this, but say, God, you... I know this is a hopeless situation, but you are still a great God. You are still completely in control. You still own the entire universe. Your character is impeccable. You are a great God. And you are, the closer I get to you, the more I see in my own life that needs to be changed. And as you begin to get things right with God, that is when you can begin to stand on the promises of God's Word and say, God, Your Word promises this. And God can begin to work in your life. As our church seeks to move, for, move forward for God this coming year, we will only move as far forward as our relationship with God. Nehemiah responded to the infliction and the great distress of his people by seriously devoting himself to prayer and fasting for God's intervention and mercy. Life situations, whatever they may be in your life, Require serious time with God. Serious time with God. Remembering who God is. Getting things right with God. 
Getting close to God. Allowing God to work in your life. And as Nehemiah began to pray, God began to move. It wasn't that God was waiting on Nehemiah to pray so that God could move. God wanted to use Nehemiah. He already had Nehemiah picked. He wanted to use him. But it was when Nehemiah, find, when Nehemiah placed himself in a place where he was struck with the awesomeness of God to the point he began to confess sins and get things right. Even though Nehemiah was living for God, he's like, God, there's things that, that aren't right here. There's things that need to be made right. And you're, this is what your word says. God, will you, will you do something that only you can do? And God did. And whatever the situation is in your life that you're looking at, if you start first with God, you're great. doesn't matter whatever the situation is. You're in complete control of it. There's nothing too big for God. You're, you're big. You're bigger than I could ever imagine. And you inspire fear in my life. When I look at you, when I begin to get closer to you and realize how holy you are, I realize you're a terrible God. It's great. It's beyond what I can see. And then God truly can get into work. But life situations require some serious time with God. And 2016, Open Door Bible Baptist Church, the members, myself, everyone, we need to be challenged by God's Word to begin to spend some serious time with God if we want to see God do the things in this church that only God can do. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank You for today. And